Welcome to the Classroom Podcast, the book club discussion on the classic political philosophy. My name is Eric Nganyange. I'm your host and the student in this class, sitting here with the one and only Professor Ron Klein. Here we go, Professor. We're back again already. We're back again. <laughs> Professor, I would like to talk to you today about presidential power. We'll talk about this in length when we get to the Constitution, but I want to discuss with you four things. Executive orders, proclamations, presidential pardons, and signing statement. What are these? What's the difference between them? What's the historical background? Last but not least, what does the Constitution say about them? Well, let's, let's um, distinguish between a couple of things that you mentioned. The pardons are specifically mentioned in the Constitution as something the president can do, and there's no question about it. People have challenged who they pardoned, but to the best of my knowledge, nobody's challenged their right to pardon them because it's very clear in the Constitution. Mm. The other ones are called direct action by Mm. the president because he's acting without Congress. And remember, the Constitution says we're going to have checks and balances, and president can do this, and Congress can do that, and Supreme Court can do the other thing. In signing statements, and you had proclamations as well. So we've, we've sort of done the job oh. with, with pardons, because it's perfectly constitutional. All hmm. the others are questionable. So let's start with executive orders. The president is in charge of several executive departments under his obligation to see that all the laws are faithfully executed. Think of a business. So you're the head of accounting. You want to let all your employees know that you're going to have casual dress on Fridays, let's say. So you write, you write a little memo and give it to them. It's part of your managing your department. Oh, boy, I love that example. Right? Well, but it's common in business. We do that all the time. That's what department heads do and vice presidents and what have you. There's no problem with that because the president is the head of executive departments. Mm -hmm. Here's where the problem comes in. We're going to have casual dress on Friday at the Treasury Department. And by the way, the tax rate's going up 10%. The casual dress is not a problem. Raising the taxes 10 no, I don't think any president's done this, but it's an example. Raising the taxes 10% isn't within the purview of the president's job description yeah. in the Constitution. That requires a law. Only Congress can make laws. So if he writes an executive order, it can be utterly benign because it's just the operation of some of his executive branch departments. But if he inserts a law-like thing in there, then it's up for grabs. I think at least in the last three administrations, counting the current one, that's been done for sure, and I'm, I'm reasonably sure that's happened before. Mm-hmm. It's a fairly novel thing before World War II. But you can go back to George Washington, and he was writing memos to his executives, mm-hmm. right? Perfectly legitimate. So, but there's been a continuous stream. Part of the problem is a lot of those have disappeared. We don't have all of them. The executive orders. Yeah. We're not really clear about, did somebody already issue this about casual dress on Friday or not? And does it matter? Okay. 
Also, right, if, you, if it's an executive order, just an order to the executive branch, casual dress on Friday, and you're the new president, you can say, well, I don't like that. I think everybody ought to wear formal gowns and tuxedos on Friday. So you can override previous executive orders with an executive order. Wow. So this started as memo to the department, and then it gradually became a, a lawmaking mechanism for president, basically. They do, yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly boy. right. Okay. And so even last, in Trump's term, he wrote one to, very controversial, he wrote an executive order to cancel Obama's executive order on the DACA the mm-hmm. Dreamers Act, yeah, which just aroused lots of op- opposition, although that had been standard procedure that everybody every, had understood. Every president, yeah. So, you know, the feelings about that may be changing. If now these, these executive orders start becoming laws, what's the difference between executive orders and the laws get passed by the Congress? Unfortunately, nothing. Here's how it should work. You know, you could say, well, let's take it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, I guarantee you, will say it's not our problem. You have a remedy, Congress, that president encroached on your function. Clearly shouldn't have done that. You have remedies on your own. The Mm. primary one being we're cutting off funding. Okay. That's the ultimate power that Congress has. We're just not going to give you any money to play with. Okay. That's one part. Can Congress override the executive order by making another law on top of that? They could make another law regarding that. Okay. And if they could get it by a veto, they Ooh, could do that. You're right. Yeah. Oof. See, the president has a way to slow that down. Yeah. Legitimate one. Mm-hmm. That's why cutting off money is the big, the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean cutting off money to everything. That he'd pick on whatever the executive order was about and say, "We're not giving you any money for that, and we're not going to allow you to take it from somewhere else." Who else has the power to stop? The executive order. It's just the Congress and the Supreme Court? That would be all, and I think the Supreme Court would opt out because they always do if a branch has their own remedy. What's the danger of executive orders? Because, I mean, there's some of them historically were FDR 1942 executive order on Japanese internment. internment. Yep. Yep. What's the danger? Kingship or tyranny or totalitarianism, however you want to describe it. Once Congress loses the ability to make laws, if the president is untrammeled, he's the single ruler of the country. Anything good about him? Well, we do want him to manage the executive branches. If we really, really need to have casual dress on Friday, I want him to be able to do it. (laughs) But it's getting a little scary. Yeah. Where is it originated from? I mean, where where, where did the... Even George Washington got that idea from, to just write executive order. Well, it was it, just power of the president. Well, power of the chief manager. Okay. Right? He was, he was in charge of the army. Mm-hmm. If he wanted the Fourth Corps to do something, he just wrote an order and sent it to him, and I want you to do this. Yeah. Right? Now, the proclamation, is you say, is kind of in that same boat. Sort of, with yes. The, with the executive order. Proclamations are things like... I am declaring that next Thursday is be nice to your kitten day. That's my proclamation. Great. No problem. And I'm raising taxes by 10%. (laughs) It transforms into an executive order. And it's been happening in the last few administrations. How is that? uh, Because now I'm thinking about Emancipation Proclamation of Lincoln. Mm -hmm. That was not just that. It was perfectly legitimate because it was an order to the United States Army to 
assure that all the slaves in your territory are freed. Notice he doesn't free the slaves in the Confederate territories, but he can free the slaves under the control of the army. So all the conquered territories, you you folks are free. Tough rocks, you guys in the Confederacy, you're not free yeah. yet. Now, what's the difference between that and executive order? That was what? an executive order. We why, just, why, we why, just why? don't call it that. Oh, really? Yeah. It's Interesting. Because it's so significant. And I think that's just and proper. Okay. Wow. I did not know that part. Yeah. I was looking at that as proclamation. Okay. Oh, no. That was an executive order. Wow. And a legitimate yeah. one. And then there's another one, and that is the signing statement, which I first heard about with George W. Bush. So Congress passes a law. House and Senate both approve it, comes to the president to be signed. He says, yes, I'm going to sign this, and he signs it. And then he writes some other sentences like, I think Article 4, Section C is unconstitutional, so I'm not going to enforce that. And goes down a list of things in the bill that he's not going to enforce or follow. That, folks, is tyranny. There's nothing in the Constitution that allows him to make a law and then decide exactly what that law is inside that is going to apply to him. Because his mandate is to see that all the laws are faithfully executed. Mm. And he can't adjust the law while he's signing it. Yeah. Wow. Let's jump to the presidential pardon. That's kind of interesting one. (laughs) Okay. Who you got in mind that you don't want pardoned? (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's another thing. Can first question I guess, can somebody refuse the pardons? Let's say the president pardoned me. Can I say no? Well you you can say I'm gonna stay in jail, but you can't reverse the pardon. Okay. Because it's a legitimate act on the president's part. It's a done deal. Now, if you if you can convince the warden to keep you in jail, go for it. Oh, really? But they're going to try to kick you out because the president said they so should. You, you got you to get out. Now, does the president has a limit? How many pardons can he nope. do? Okay. Why the presidents never do the pardons in the mid of their terms or right in the beginning? Is it because it's political? Okay. Especially if it's your last term. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when is the, the last due date for the president to do the pardon? It's January 20th? January 20th at 11.59. Okay. His Get term it. expires at noon okay. on the 20th. Okay. From a historical perspective, where is this coming from? Why did the framers thought this very important need to be in the Constitution? Because it had been an English constitution. There were optimists, and, and I'm glad they were. It's a way to give justice where okay. it might not be given. Because, you know, some courts are crooked. The idea of the founders was, look, there could be some unjust things that have been done. And I don't think they contemplated that it all happened at the end. But if you see something that's absolutely unjust... We're giving you the power to make it just, which is sort of, he becomes actually the court of last resort. Okay. Now, I took, I took upon myself and read the Article 2 or Section 2 of the Constitution on that. And then I read Alexander Hamilton, Federalist Number 74, he's talking about that. One thing I did not see in there, the limit. Can the president pardon family member? Or can the president pardon himself? Well, the Constitution doesn't have any limit. Mm. I mean, it seems odd that you could pardon yourself. The Constitution says you can do it. 
Well, if you can do it yourself, I guess you can do it with family members. No problem. Yeah. They should have had the power to incriminate some of their family members. <laughs> <laughs> That's also justice in some cases. <laughs> Never going to happen, though. <laughs> <laughs> now, and, and, and I guess since it's in the Constitution, the Congress cannot do anything about it or the court. There's one remedy. Amend the Constitution. Okay. That can be started by Congress or Convention of the States. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks, Professor. Thank you. I appreciate That was Professor Ron Klein. My name is Eric Nganyanke. Thank you for listening to the Classroom Podcast. Until next time, be safe. <laughs>